Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody at Rat Salad Reviews. I'm Prophet. I'm the vocalist of the band St. Madness from Tempe, Arizona, United States of America. And I just wanted to share with you real quick about one of the greatest honors of my life, which was when St. Madness was on the same bill as the mighty King Diamond, way back on April 27th, 1998. And there's a video online on YouTube. If you go look it up, just look up St. Madness Presents Carnimental Number 2. And the first 35 or 40 minutes is... Uh, First, it's St. Madness on stage, and then it goes into the King on stage. And then you actually get to see the King walk out of the venue and get in a BMW and drive off. And, you know, I just want to say what a rush and what a thrill that was the night that we got to open for King Diamond. And I went to the concert here in Phoenix last night, and the old boy is amazing as he ever was. He's hitting all the notes. He has an incredible stage show. And, you know, I was just sitting there watching him, shaking my head, going, you know, we got to open for him. And uh, as far as my life, I've been in music 40 years. And the night we opened for King Diamond is absolutely one of the greatest and best moments of my musical life. So... Everybody hang in there, love each other, and long live the fans of metal music. Welcome to this broadcast belongs to the... I was going to say it, but fine. <laughs> Go ahead, I'll let you say it. <laughs> Welcome to this broadcast belongs to them. That's right. I always yeah. do it, so I'm just uh, used to doing it all the time. But uh, 
I'll let you do it from now on. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> All right, we'll just you take might, it out. You might, you might have to remind me on that right. in the future, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, back to the show. Uh, ghouls and gals or... Damn, now I can't remember what Vincent Price used to say. But anyway, this week we are talking about Side A of Merciful Fate's debut album, Melissa. That is correct, sir. And uh, we will also have Martin Popoff on the show. He will be talking about his uh, book that he has called Black Funeral, Into the Coven with Merciful Fate. Oh, can you see that? There you go. Yep. It was just, just released a couple weeks ago, so uh, definitely give a check out uh, on his website. I think it was, yep. um, how much was that book? $30 maybe? Or maybe less than that. I, I think remember. it was less than that. Might have been less I wanna, than that. I want to say it was 20 something, but I can't remember. It's, it's possible. Uh, with shipping too, so it's, you know, you didn't charge you extra shipping, I don't think. No. But it wasn't that much money. And it's a cool book. It's a, actually a fairly thick book. He goes through every album, all the songs, like kind of like we're doing. But probably a better job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, yeah. And Martin's books are always very well done, very informative. It's always they're always a good read. Well worth right. the money. Yeah, yeah. I still have to take a look at this one, but uh, yeah, it's a cool book. Some pictures in there as well. Some uh, some really cool stuff in there. So give that a look, see, and uh, stay for that interview later on. But now we will get into Melissa Side yeah. A. Yes, and this album was released on October 30th, 1983, but recorded in July in Copenhagen. Really? Uh, the, yes, and the producer for this record was Henrik Lund. However, um, he was the co-owner of the studio, mm-hmm. and which is how he ended up producing it, but he had never produced a metal band before. So he took a lot of input from the band as they were recording and mixing the record. So apparently they were uh, very uh, involved with it. Oh, wow. Well, it shows because it's it's very fine-tuned, you can tell, on this album. Uh, Well... As opposed to the EP. That was was the uh, other part of it was they knew they were going to have a very limited amount of time in the studio... So before they went into the studio, they rehearsed these songs constantly and made sure they were arranged completely how they wanted them in advance so they could just go in and bang it out. Right. Oh, and also, too, it was the first release on uh, Roadrunner. Yes, it was, which I just found out as we were uh, looking up stuff about this. That's right. And um, also about this album, well, this song had this album had two songs that were recorded during the sessions. The one, "Black Masses," which became the B side to "Black Funeral," which is on side two, which was, uh, I believe, the only single released from this. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that one was ever intended to be on the album or not, but um, the label wanted them to record a cover song for this. So they originally did a cover of Led Zeppelin's The Immigrant Song, but uh, the band wanted it left off the album because they felt it uh, didn't fit in at all and it kind of ruined the theme. Yeah. But... um, According according to uh, Hank Sherman, uh, 
Diamond's performance was very surprising on it because he sounded almost exactly like Robert Plant when he did it. Yeah, I think uh, even Michael Dennis mentioned that as well. I believe he does in yeah, his interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of glad he didn't release that because it just would not fit. There's no reason to have a, a cover song on this album. No, that would completely ruin the flow of the record. And um, I mean, really, even though it's seven songs and Black Masses probably would have fit on it. Um, mm. That's okay as a B-side. I mean, I like that song, but I don't think it would have felt with our fit in right with the feel of the rest of the record either. Not that it's a concept album, but uh, it's got a very specific feel yeah. to it. Yeah. Immigrant song has nothing to do with uh, Satan either, I don't think so. Kind of really out of place. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that would be like them doing, uh, what the hell is that song that they did? The Golden Earring song on... Uh, oh, yeah, Radar Love. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be like throwing Radar Love on this. It, just, it makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> Nah, not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. But uh, but they do open with the first track called Evil. Yes. Which, I suppose, in a way, is their immigrant song, sort of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I guess, yeah. Kind of, because it just kind of like starts off like real quick like that song does. And, uh, yeah, I, I can hear the similarities. Yeah, and, and, you know, he gets right to the business with... Uh, the vocals. I mean, he doesn't shriek immediately like no, does. He, he does this like uh, is this gritty voice. Uh, uh, I was born in a cemetery on the sign of the moon. Doesn't sound like that at all, but you know, he gets gritty like that. Yeah. But then, but then he does that scream. Uh, he's uh, raised. Um, uh, uh, yeah, but he, he accents moon. Like he does that scream when he says moon. So. Uh, yeah, and then he does. The, then he does it a, again on the next line when he does "Raised from My Grave by the Dead," and then he goes back to the gritty with "I Was Made a Mercenary," and then he keeps that on in the Legions of Hell. But I think when he does Hell, he does it kind of like yeah, of, yeah. yeah, and then he screams again when he does the King of Pain line after that. Yeah. King of the Pain, I'm insane. Yep. Yes, well, exactly. That was pretty good, actually. It was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> I should sing more often. No, I shouldn't. Yeah, uh, just a little practice. That's all you need. Yeah, it's just a little practice. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, some cool lyrics on this song. Uh, uh, you, this this is actually uh, one of my favorite lyrics. Uh, not my favorite lyrics, but it's it's cool on, on this song. Uh, you know, my only pleasure is to hear you cry. I love to hear you cry. I love to feel you die. I'll be the first to watch your funeral. And I'd be the last to leave. That's pretty fucked up. That is. <laughs> and, and then, that's, that's something and then you tell after, somebody when you, you fucking really that, hate them. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> when you just want to fucking do nothing but spit in their face. And then when he does the next, I'd love to hear you cry line, the first line after that is. And then when you're down beyond the ground, I'll dig up your body again. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> he's, just, he's not done with the funeral thing. He just wants to continue this. Yeah. <laughs> he's evil, and he really fucking hates them, and he wants them to know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. But yeah, these, these lyrics are pretty fucked up. <laughs> uh, you got to say goodbye, he says at the end, because uh, I will eat your mind. Does he eat his the brain? Is that what he's talking about? That's is, why he, is he a fucking I... vampire? We discussed this earlier. No, the zombie. That's <laughs> zombie. Seriously, yeah. yeah. I always kind of took the meaning of the song as that he was a, a zombie. 
Yeah, yeah but I guess that's probably what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, eat your mind. Zombies eat minds and brains and shit, so... Yeah. Yeah, but cool song. A lot of really cool uh, uh, solos and stuff, and, and also, too, like we discussed with Martin, um... They don't go back to the verse on this song. It's just like it's the verse, it's bridge, chorus, and it goes back to the bridge and to the chorus. And like the the verses never uh, come back again. It's just it's a very weird uh, way to put together a song because not too many songs do that. I don't think. No, it's a very odd lyrical arrangement for sure. Yeah. And then just um, it, it it works well for it, it though. It I works. Mean, for- it it kind of punches right out like a steamroller almost, but. Right. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I never really noticed that until he brought that up. You know, you know, I never really thought about the fact that it didn't have a chorus either because the the, the different writ. What's that? The, the verse. verse. Yeah. The um, but the the different rhythm lines, you know, and everything are just so memorable, and the different riffs and even the lyrics themselves too. That I just never noticed they didn't repeat that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it it flows very well. So that's you know it's a good song, awesome song. Mm-hmm. Song number Defini- two, definitely one of their signature songs. I would say. Oh know, yeah, especially okay. considering they recorded the re-recorded this and the following one with uh Meta- oh, well yeah. for Metallica's the, uh, yeah, guitar, for the guitar game. Yeah. yeah. All right, song number two, Curse of the Pharaohs. Um, Oh, God, I remember this song. I, I believe that this is like the first song I ever really heard of Merciful Fate. I heard King Diamond first, and then I heard uh, Merciful Fate. And I think, I believe this is the first song I've ever heard of theirs. And uh, like we were discussing earlier, you said one of your friends didn't realize King and Merciful Fate were the same, you know, same thing. And yep, I, I no. think I, I felt the same way because I, I wasn't sure. I didn't really know King Diamond that well at the time. And uh, yeah, finding well, out that he's the same guy. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, the, the other funny part about that is, um, you know, the video I showed him uh, from that live at the Dynamo tape uh, of this song, actually, but, uh, you know, King didn't have the full-on makeup that he would have when he first started his solo band, or even on the Oath, he just kind of had the inverted cross and black circles around his eyes at that point, which also made him think, wow, that guy sounds a lot like King Guy. <laughs> well... Kind of is, can you? Oh! <laughs> well, that's, that must be an old video. You don't still have that, do you? Mm-hmm. Well, you do still have it. Yeah, I still have it. Yeah, it's, um, well, I don't have the VHS anymore. I think it actually just kind of degraded and fell apart over time. Oh, but uh, yeah. I copied it onto a DVD that I have. Not mm-hmm. the best video quality in the world, but it's a pretty cool show. Do you know if it's on YouTube? Yeah, I think it is. I don't know if the whole thing's on YouTube, but I know at least two or three of the songs are. Oh, I'll have to check it out. I'm going to add it to the show, too. And the little box that we have up on top of it, it shows pictures and videos once in a while. Actually, on the back cover of this, yeah. does he have the final makeup design yet? Or is it just the black around the eyes with the... Let's see. It is. No, actually, yeah, he does have the uh, full makeup. You can't really tell on there, but I can tell he's got, like, the... Um... The Gene Simmons, uh, you know, uh, vampire. <laughs> as as collectively every King Diamond fan watching this either shakes their fist and goes, God damn you, Gene Simmons, or exasperates. That's... Yeah, you can kind of tell a little bit that he does have, on the EP he did have the black eyes, uh, but this yeah. one, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, he does have it. It says a bad you... picture because he's got 
the smoke in his face, but yeah, I, I was just curious because, um, that, uh, that iconic that, makeup. That, yeah. That, that concert isn't from very long before they recorded this. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's his best makeup. Actually, it's, uh, no, this is probably not the same makeup. Uh, it could be similar, similar to the makeup that's on the cover of this one. Similar. Yeah. yeah. That's probably makeup from, uh, uh, don't break the oath. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, that actually looks like the vest he had for that tour too. Yeah, yeah. he he kind he dressed a little different from Melissa. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, song number two, "Curse of the Pharaohs." Um, yeah, we were already talking about this. Um, <laughs> I forgot what we were doing, but uh, yeah, I remember listening to this on on the school bus. No, not on the school bus. That was a different song. Um, I think I heard it first on a college radio station. It just came on, popped up, you know, during their little playlist or whatever. I heard so many friggin' bands from that that uh, radio station. It was actually a station in Connecticut, and I just happened to get it in my house. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a long ways away, you know, from where I am. And uh, I was just playing with the antenna one day, and all of a sudden the station came on. It was playing metal. I'm like, where the hell is this at? So I, I finally got it, the station to, to actually work and stay in. And uh, then the Merciful Fate song came on, and I was just like, you know, that that's fucking awesome. That guy sounds really familiar. And uh, you know, find out you know later that it was uh, King Diamond. But uh, God, I used to do so many things to try to get that station in my on my little radio. I'd hang antennas all different spots of the room, and just try to to get it in every every Saturday night. Ten coat hangers woven together, <laughs> taped to the side of the house. Coat hangers and a fucking Reynolds wrap and. Well, it was a, it was a nightmare. <laughs> you wear a little tin foil hat, walking around yeah. the room with the radio, looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's Saturday night. I need my fix. Uh, that was some cool uh, shit. Good. I try to listen to that station now. Uh, if anybody is watching this from Connecticut, WNHU was hmm. the station. It's still around. Just uh, the guys that used to do the, the radio stuff. Just uh, you know, I guess they grew up because it was a college radio, and they just don't do it anymore. But uh found a lot of cool bands on that anyway. But uh, yeah, some of the some really cool lyrics on here. Uh it starts out with um away out in Egypt in the Valley of Kings, where uh, the mummified pharaohs pretend dead in their sleep. Yeah, and I love the way he sings that too. It's so yeah, great. And uh the the it, the opening riff is awesome too. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, what got definitely me? one of their most memorable. What what really got me was is the chorus, obviously, because that's usually what gets me the songs is uh, the choruses. But uh, I, I like this one. Don't touch, never ever steal, unless you're in for the kill, or you'll be hit by the curse of the pharaohs. Yes, you'll be hit by the curse. Oh no, yes, you'll be hit, and the curse is on you. But yeah. I always like that. Don't touch, never steal, unless you're in for the kill. I, I like that. Yeah, it's some cool shit. Yeah, awesome, I, awesome, awesome song. Yeah, it really is, and um, the, the, the chorus itself is definitely catchy. But uh, we, I remember it so well too, just because of the musical part of it. I just, right. I love, I love that riff he plays during the yeah. chorus. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that's what I like the most about this stuff. I, I love King's vo- vocals and stuff, but the, the music is just so catchy. It's just the ideas that they came up with, especially at this time uh, when this album came out. It's just mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's kind of almost beyond what everybody else was doing in a way. I think 
It really is. Actually, this song is a great example of that. I mean, okay, in the late 70s, a lot of people were interested in Egyptology because of the whole King Tut thing, but um, yeah. I don't think you ever really had any, but certainly nobody in metal address right. the uh, the curse quite like this. Yeah, yeah or just yet. Yeah, or just Egypt in general, even. Because yeah. uh, even, even Iron Maiden and Power Slave, that didn't come out until, what, 84? So it was like a year yeah, after. Yeah, 84. So they, they stole it from uh, uh, Merciful Fate first, and then they went and did it. <laughs> That's right. Damn you, Steve. Damn you. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> song number three, Into the Coven. How like a wolf, and a witch will open the door. Follow me and meet our high priestess. Come, come, into my coven, and you'll become Lucifer's child. I just, uh... <laughs> the, uh the acoustic intro is just awesome. It is. It, that it that is. little classical guitar Richie Blackmore-esque piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't expect that because, you know, the first two songs are kind of like in your face and then it slows down. Which is cool because uh, a lot of the albums at this time kind of repeated that same kind of uh, thing. Like the first two songs are the fast songs. And then the third song brought it down. And you don't hear that much anymore. And uh, that's cool to me because it just it gives uh, the album like, you know, different... Uh, different uh, flavors, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, uh, it makes it more dynamic. I feel like, and one thing I was actually going to say about that too is, you know, usually if a band did have a song, especially in metal or hard rock, that did have an acoustic intro, it was always at the beginning of the album. Right. So it's really cool to hear it as the third song, and it just gives a completely different dynamic to it. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Makes it stand out a lot more too. Oh I feel yeah. Like. Yeah, some other cool lyrics. Um, well, I don't know if this is cool lyrics, but uh, undress until you're naked. <laughs> and put on this white coat. Take this white cross and go to the middle of the ring. Uh, and then suck suck the blood from this unholy knife. Say after me, my soul belongs to Satan. <laughs> That's, That's how he up. says it, too. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but it is pretty but fucked it, up. It is, but it, it's an awesome song, and um, yeah, just listening to this is not going to make you worship the devil, and you're not going to go to hell listening to this shit. It's just fucking music. <laughs> and you know, he he always manages to do really good start descriptions like that too. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, he, in he his tells, lyrics, he tells really good stories. I mean, uh, you know, Merciful Fate isn't you know concept albums like King Diamond is, but. Each song, he, he has Thank- stories in each song. and What? Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would be interested to see how they would do a concept album, but let's not, let's not do it. Yeah, it's, no, it's too late in your career to even attempt to do that. <clears throat> Judas Priest. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, well. Love Judas Priest, especially the late 70s and 80s stuff, but there's a band that had no business ever doing a concept album. Sorry, guys. They did it. Although I didn't mind it, but it's still they shouldn't have done it. Uh, but yeah, I, lo- I love this. I song. don't know if that record's horrible because it's a concept album or because it's just a bad record, but it's definitely a bad record. But no, uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't like it. But uh, we're not talking about Judas Priest. We're talking about Muscle Fate. Maybe one day we'll do a Judas Priest show. Maybe I doubt it. Uh, 
But yeah, what, this is one of my favorite Merciful Fate songs into the coven. Just uh, so many cool parts in this with the acoustic stuff, and then it gets into the, the heavier stuff, and um, just awesome, awesome song all around. You know, it's funny, um, because I said it about the first two tracks, and I'll say it here again, and really, the, the first three of this are very uh, identifiable Merciful Fate songs. Like, Oh, yeah. They're definitely stuff, when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely Merciful Fate, but whenever you think of Merciful Fate, these are some of the first songs to pop into your head. Yeah. 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 Especially, uh, and also, too, I just, like you were even saying before, that the intro, that, that guitar, that lead guitar part that comes in there, it's just so awesome. That's just that's Michael Denner, you know. You oh, instantly, yeah. you instantly know that's him. Yeah, I I love how he's following with the acoustic like that. That's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that sound. And, and the other thing too with the Michael Denner, he still uses that same sound pretty much today. I mean, you know, it, that's his signature sound. He really does. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's never changed. You know, huh? I should. Have he has changed a little bit because. Right. Um, uh, you know, unlike Into the Unknown, they they changed a lot. But uh, on this album, and even on his uh, new album, his uh, solo album, he, he kind of goes back to this sound a little bit. You know? Yeah, well, see, that's what I was thinking of is Denner's Inferno. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, the, uh, what song is this? Number but, four? Uh, yeah, Into the Coven was actually originally going to be the name of this record. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do not know why they changed it to Melissa, but they did. And also, I forgot to mention while we were talking about Curse of the Pharaohs, mm-hmm. Curse of the Pharaohs is the final version of a song that was originally on one of the Bratz demos right. we've reviewed previously called Night Riders. And Into the Coven was originally Love Criminals. That is correct, sir. That is right. A lot of, a lot of differences. I mean, the lyrics are all changed and everything, so... But, well, uh, yeah, the the original bass player, I really didn't care for the lyrics he came up with for either of those songs. Right. I mean, Night Riders was kind of okay, but it definitely isn't Curse of the Pharaohs. But Love yeah. Criminals, I just always thought was as cool as, because it's still almost kind of the same basic song. I mean, it's not quite as intricate. It doesn't have the classical flair so much then, and obviously no acoustic guitar at the beginning, but um, the music definitely didn't fit the lyrics that they had right. originally. It, uh, yeah. it sounded really out of place, and King sounded really uncomfortable singing it, but I'm glad they recognized that the core of the song was really good, and then they kept and reused it and turned it into something great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of work. Um, all right, then the last song, the uh, fourth song, uh, at the sound of the demon bell. Now, to me, this is where the album kind of like falls off a little bit. Oh. Yeah, this uh, this is one of those songs where it's kind of like uh, everything but the kitchen sink in it, but it doesn't quite connect. Yeah, it's like a bunch of separate parts that are just kind of loosely related. Yeah, yeah, but this is. I guess uh, technically the first progressive, progressive sounding song on this album because Satan's Fall on the on the second side, that's very progressive, and they throw a lot of shit in there and they make that song work. This one, um, I'd say Into the Coven probably shows the first hints of it. I mean, I, so. I wouldn't call it out and out a progressive song, but I think this eh, one, like, I would consider but this mostly one. because of how Michael does that lead along with the acoustic guitar. That that's really what makes. And 
there was a couple parts in the middle where the uh, you know Kim and Timmy are playing kind of in a deep purple style, but deep purple wasn't really a prog band, so I'm gonna shut up about that now. <laughs> Regardless, uh, this one's more progressive sounding <laughs> because yes. it, it is it got so many different parts in it, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work. But there's a lot of stuff that does work, which is a shame because it's just one of those songs where you do have parts in it, and you'd like to listen to the song. But mm-hmm. because of the shitty parts, like the the part in the like in the middle of it, where it's like uh, it's got like that breakdown thing in there, uh, it's just like weird. Um, I'm trying to think where where what the hell does it say? Um, uh, I, I hear a bell, a sound from hell. Oh yes, yes, that part. Yeah. It's just yeah. uh, it's just weird. That's during the breakdown part, which I mean. That little breakdown part, the groove they get into with that, and just how they do that in general, sounds cool. It just doesn't fit with the song, unfortunately. But the the way they play the rhythm with it at least kind of fits the basic backbeat that they had established so far. But then yeah. when it switches into the faster part where it speeds up again, and Beezlebub, Astaroth, Bring Me to the Devil, that just comes yeah. out of left field, man. Yeah, it's like, what the hell? Like they they should have did a song more based more around that part, but uh, it's just a very disjointed song. Uh, I don't even what the hell is this song about? Uh, um, Halloween. I it is about Halloween, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which yeah, is that? Uh, I I think I think it's uh, like a take on the Al. Al not Al. Yeah, Al Hallows Eve. All <laughs> Hallows Eve. Uh, <laughs> tradition of ghosts rising from the grave uh, yeah, yeah. and then within that he clearly he works satan into it oh of course you, Be, you because it's a, it's called at the sound of the demon bell so yeah, you, ha- you have to work him in there somehow but uh yeah it's just it's weird i mean these aren't even some of my favorite lyrics i mean even the song starts off uh, halloween is the night the legend says the ghosts will rise on halloween they can't redeem a restless soul from ancient scene at the sound of the demon bell. Everything will turn to hell. Rise, rise, rise. It's Halloween. Yeah. yeah That's I, a good one. It is cool, but... Eh, this is I, a throwaway I, song to me. The coolest lyrics to it, though, I think are at the end. Speaking of a lot of the fucked up, kind of mean-spirited, evil, if you will, stuff he yeah. does on this. Upon a burning cross, the Lord Jesus, Satan's above. It must be a shame to see the Lord fall again. Now rise, reconcile with the powers of darkness, uncover a saint. You better believe or see for yourself. Well, not so much the last line. Actually, that's kind of bad English there. uh, (laughs) No offense, King. Yeah, but yeah, uh, to me it's a it's a it's a throwaway song. So I mean, uh, you know, listen to it once in a while, but it's not my favorite song on this album. Yeah, I don't dislike it when I want to hear the album as a whole. It fits in with it, mm-hmm. but um, it's just weird. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really the only way to see a rare misfire from Merciful. But it's it's not a bad song. It's just an odd. Yeah, it's not one. terrible. It's just put yeah. together very odd. But uh, yeah, go, go take a listen to it and see for yourself. And write in the comments what do you feel about that song or any of the songs off of this album. Let us know. Yeah, how like, tell how us. Much you like this album? You like this? Is this your favorite Marcel Fate album, or is it your least favorite? Who knows? But let us know. 
in the comments below. So that is it from us, right? That's right. That's all we got this. That's all uh, we got this episode. That's right. Didn't say weak this time. That's <laughs> right. I'm getting better. Thank you. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is side A, and next episode will be side B. But right now, we're going to head over to Martin Popoff, an interview we did with him a few days ago, to talk about his, uh, once again, his book, Into the Coven, with Merciful Fate, Black Funeral. And uh, yeah, that's it. Let's join Martin Popoff. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Welcome to, uh, well, welcome to Rats Out Review, Review, but this is uh, our show for King Diamond called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. Okay. Yeah, I remembered it this time, Greg. <laughs> hey. Well, I was ready if you didn't. <laughs> it's a long name. Sometimes I forget. And we don't Hang do this every week. Let me close my email so it's not making noises. Okay, done. Okay. Yeah, but welcome to the show. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, somebody posted on uh, Facebook a couple days ago about your, your book. Oh, good. It's arrived. Excellent. Yes, it has arrived. I got it yesterday. I didn't get yeah. ta- a chance to look through it yet, but uh, yeah, okay. I saw this cover and I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to see what this is. And yeah. I saw it was one of your books, so I had to pick it up right away and it came in the mail yesterday and autographed as well. Yeah, right. Right, right on. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't think of much witty to say. I even asked my Facebook people. So we came up with Satan's folio for Satan's Satan's poem. Or, or, or a dangerous reading, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. I got better ones for Blue Oyster Cult, Greg. I've got Don't Fear the Reader. I've got uh, Three Men uh, Three men Said Don't Report This. What's the other one? You got Are You Ready to Read? So yep. When, when I signed the Blue Oyster Cult book, it's one of those three. I, I believe mine says, are you ready to read? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Actually, Wayne, a lot of the little uh, tidbits and stuff I get are from Martin's book on Blue Oyster Cult. Cool. Oh, really? <laughs> ah, yeah. That I bring up. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's uh, why I wore uh, the Nosferatu shirt, actually. Yeah, I'm, Got- I'm doing a couple very strange Blue Oyster Cult projects right now. So one is... Uh, one is not that strange. It's for my UK publisher, uh, Weimer Publishing. So I'm, I'm doing a timeline and intros, and they're doing a visual, visual history of Blorschko. So it's a lot of all the memorabilia and artwork and, and ads oh. and photography. And the other one, though, is uh, so I had been planning for years to do a, a detailed Imaginos timeline and then illustrate the Imaginos story. And then lo and behold, I, I find out on Facebook, there's this book planned about um, these, uh, all these science fiction writers are writing stories based on the Imaginos story. And I already had this timeline, so I condensed it. I actually made it smaller and I've done a whole pile of uh, pencil drawings for it. Awesome. That happening. Yeah. yeah My, uh, DLC yeah. Yeah. A buddy of mine, Randy, uh, Randy Mychod, he uh, has his own record label, Stone Grooves Records, but uh, he just went through their whole catalog and made like a whole compilation of everything yeah. that he thinks fits into the Imagino story, and that's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got, uh, you know, I've got all sorts of Aleister Crowley in there and Austin Osmond Spare. And I mean, the whole Sandy's whole story is about the occult origins of World War One. There really aren't occult origins of World War One. There are for World War Two, but there is the whole German occult revival, the Victorian times coming up. So I've got this massive timeline with all this crazy stuff in it. It's like 10,000 words. And wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. And drawing all these weird crazy occult uh, pictures for it so. <laughs> <laughs> be, sounds like a cool book yeah. a little project uh, um so anyway 
Yeah, so how did you get into Merciful Fate? I, I haven't read your book yet, so I don't know your the whole story, what you have, you know, going on. Right. Well, um, you know, I was trying to think back, and I, I think I probably explained it a little bit in the in the introduction. That's what I use my books with the introductions of my books for usually is just to give a little personal personal reminiscence or whatever. So right. um I, I couldn't quite remember, but I don't think I heard the EP first. I definitely got the LP. Um, right. you know, right away, um, yeah. got it in, in 83, probably within, you know, and not because we knew anything about them. So, so the mm. funny story is that when me and my buddies got, um, Melissa, it literally reminded us of nothing else but getting Judas Priest, Sad Wings of Destiny, because, oh. and I say this in the introduction, because the idea was that, um, it was almost like, this band has sold their soul to Satan to be this good when being a baby band. And and I remember the, the only other album I ever felt that way about was Sabotage Sirens a little bit. But 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 this was much more, you know, the mystique and the creepiness was much more in line with Sad Wings of Destiny. Because when we got Sad Wings of Destiny, baby band on a, on a small label, religious writing, um, you know, slightly religious themes or timeless themes. And... So and, and it just basically blew all of our top 10 lists out of the water. And that's what Melissa felt like at the same time. It felt like, um, you know, this was literally the most skilled band we'd ever heard. And it's a baby band. It's their first right. album. So and it's on Roadrunner. Um, can't remember if I would have gotten a Canadian issue of that. I seem to think I would have. So it would have been probably... Is that Bonsai or is it or just Canadian Roadrunner? Maybe it wasn't Bonsai. Um, I know there is a Bonsai press of it, right? But I couldn't tell you which one was first because there's two. There's yeah. a Canadian Roadrunner and then there's a Bonsai. And I, okay. at one point, I had several. <laughs> yeah, because Roadrunner Bonsai went together. Yeah, it's I, I understand. Yeah, it's it it gets a little complicated. I have to go back and and look at that stuff. But and and my Don't Break the Oath. Yeah, definitely my personal copies. I remember now. Both my personal copies were Canadian copies, at least. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, is there any difference between like the American or or even the? Um... Uh, well, what do you call it? The uh, where the hell are they from? The press, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, um, the Danish, yeah, 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 yeah. The actual Dutch Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah. Dutch Roadrunner. No, I don't think there's any difference. Uh, there were no track alterations or anything like that. I, I and I think uh, I think we got the inserts and stuff. So mm. yeah, I, I think yeah. About about the only difference on uh, the Dutch ones is they say made in the Netherlands and part of the copyright information is yeah. written in dutch that's okay. yeah actually yeah. the only other other version i know of uh, is a megaforce version of melissa okay. yeah and it's got like a weird ending to the last song uh melissa wow yeah they yep. changed like a piece uh, of it yeah yeah that's the U- original u.s press yeah, oh, is that what that is? Right. I, I yeah. seem to recall my "Don't Break the Oath" was a little flawed as well. Like I think I think the Canadian pressings were a little screwed up for some. Yeah. They were. I think though that was the one that was slightly warped or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a pressing problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it instantly that was the thing about them. It was a band that uh, that bore no no similarity to any other band. Um, yeah. that's for sure with the, with the falsetto, with the amount of progressive metalness to it, with how, yeah. without, without just, just like I say, skilled it was. And, and then, you know, as the, the interviews for the book, you realize, 
uh, basically these guys were on a mission to be as good as Judas Priest. Uh, right. You know, not every band had that as their as their mission statement. And but Michael Denner, King Diamond, like these guys are are musicologists, music nerds, music snobs, and they and they knew what the best metal in the world was because they right. knew everything about metal, and they knew the best metal was basically Sad Wings, Sin After Sin, Stained Class, right? And right. that's yeah. that's basically was their mission to be as good as Priest, better right. than Priest, yeah, and the it, heaviest band in the world. They said that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you into it right away, or did it take you time to like get into his vocals? Never, ever, ever, ever did get into the falsetto. Oh, um, really? No, I, I would say that that uh, everything to me would even be better without the falsetto. I, t- yeah. I still totally believe mm. that, but mm. it was not a hindrance at all to loving the band and loving King, everything about him. So it, it wasn't wasn't like I hated the falsetto, mm. but but it always was. The least, my least favorite of all his vocal styles. I loved the the Glenn Danzig croon. That's yeah. my favorite. I loved his guttural voice, like when he goes into a bit of a talking voice. He has so right. many weapons, right? Right. Yep. So and so, my least favorite weapon is the falsetto. So, right. but but it is funny. The the other thing is, kids was uh, we really had a problem when we didn't like vocals. Like the Ramones was mm. was thrown out. Because basically, the Ramones just did not count as a serious band because for some reason we we couldn't get into uh, Johnny's Johnny's vocals. No, not Johnny's vocals. Uh, Joey. Joey's vocals. Yeah, here I am. I wrote a Ramones book. Too, I know. I was going to say, we have you on the show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, it's funny. There were certain bands where and and um, you know Rush Rush never felt bad either. So 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 yeah, for some reason King and Geddy Lee made it through. Um, but uh, but the Ramones did not make it through at all. It's it's odd. Yeah, it is odd. Actually, I listen to the Ramones at work all the time. I mean, everybody, even at work, they say, "What? Do you, I listen to this crap." I'm like, "What are you talking about? It's the Ramones." <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're classic. I, I don't know. They're good yeah. to me. Um, Greg, you got anything? I don't want to. No, that's, that's no? cool. All right, all right. All right. So, uh, what else can you tell us about this book? Because. Uh, yeah, I really want to start reading this book because uh, it got a lot of cool pictures in here. Who did you get? Where did you get the pictures from? Yeah, they're they're kind of from all over. I've I've fallen into this uh, habit of having just the um, you know, oh, the, uh, the 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 two the two eight k uh, eight page color sections. I've done that mm-hmm. in the latest two priest books, the latest two Iron Maiden books, the two Sabbath books. I'm doing a Saxon book now. It's going to be the same thing. I did it in the Accept. I did it in the Riot. So so that's kind of what I'm 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 doing a lot more of. And yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So basically, I guess I got into it because I had already um, you know written the story of Melissa and had it just as an ebook, and it's never been in print. So sometimes when I when I have something started and I have a lot of interviews, that's when I say, hey man, I could actually do a whole book, and then. And the thing that just put me over the top is I just talked to Michael Denner recently for for his uh, for his Denner's uh, Inferno thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So so I thought, okay, well, we had another nice chat. He's a great guy and all this. And and I've met all the guys and I've interviewed them and King. I've interviewed a bunch of times and you get King on the phone and he'll he'll talk a lot, although he's. He's really, you know, the amount of interviews and how easy it is to get an interview with him has really gone down. It's it's really kind of odd. It's It's yeah. been a while since, uh, you know, it used to be just a regular easy thing. Actually, Ozzy used to be like that as well. Right. Um, but um, 
So I had some writing and I definitely had a bunch of stuff. I usually, you know, don't think about writing a book unless I've interviewed a band at least 10 or 12 or 15 times. Um, So when I feel like I can offer a a whole bunch to the world in terms of new stuff. And then, of course, um, there's a lot of the available press used as well. And then the other thing that's happened recently is I did these two big, massive hardcovers of just hardcore writing. Led Zeppelin, all the albums, all the songs. The Clash, all the albums, all the songs. Where all, No interview stuff except for some sidebar things. But literally what I had to do was analyze the heck out of every single song to the tune of 400 to 500 words, right? So uh, basically... Wow. That inspired me that, hey, in future books, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to just analyze all the music a little more than I used to in the old days. So yeah. so the, so all my books, really, they're 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 basically uh, the same format. It's like every song is discussed. I try to get as much out of the guys about the album co- covers, the production, the lyrics, the songs. I discuss every song. There's outside press. There's the photos. Boom. If I can get it to, uh, you know, over 80,000 words or whatever, I have a book. And this one's actually 100,000 words. It's actually a pretty long book. Oh, wow. It doesn't seem like that long. It's not that big of a book. Yeah, it's not that thick. I've got a few that are a little longer, a few that are a little shorter. I mean, this one actually falls right in between my uh, Iron Maiden or Where uh, Eagles Dare, Iron Maiden in the 80s, which is a little thicker, and and Holy Smoke, Iron Maiden in the 90s, which is a little thinner. So this is actually kind of right in the middle. But I think it's what – what is it here? It's uh, two, two, 270 pages, essentially. So, yeah, it's a pretty pretty hefty book. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? I got to ask you guys something. So, so sure, go I've, ahead. I've listened to some rat salad, but are you saying you've done many, many, many episodes on King and Merciful, or because I've we seen are... you do a lot of stuff, right? We do a lot of stuff. Yes. We are. How many episodes are we in the King Dime? Like five, I think. I couldn't find very five or many. six. Yeah. yeah, we we I, I kind think of we're on six. Yeah, we kind of stopped because uh, we're waiting for Kim Ruz. Oh yeah, yeah. I got his email address and uh, had a contact with him and um, I'm waiting for him to write us back, but he hasn't wrote me back yet. Yeah. And I didn't want to get too much further into the show if he was going to come on soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, it's been like maybe two weeks now, I, I believe, and I haven't heard from him. So we're probably just going to continue. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks. It's a funny thing. You know, I got, I got to ask you guys because I, I, I went and asked my face group, uh, facebook group this stuff too uh, mm-hmm. my page and my group and um because i was struggling with like how do you do you guys have one of the reunion albums that just clearly sounds way different to you and stands head and shoulder above or even one that you say i hate this record like is that do you have any strong opinions other than they're they're all 8.5s and 9s out of 10s because i uh-huh. feel that uh, about either any of those, what is it? Five, five albums, right? Yeah. Um, is, how many is it? Uh, there's, there's two I love. Five, I think five. Yeah, yeah, five. Yeah. There's two I love. One I really don't care for, and the other two I'm kind of neutral on. Okay, and what are they? Uh, the two I love are Into the Unknown and Nine, actually. Okay. Really? Um, yeah. Even I didn't know I, that. I, I Martin, uh, sit over don't care for Dead Again. <laughs> yeah. And um, In the Shadows and Time, I like them both a lot. I think they're good albums, but yeah. they're not as good as Into the Unknown and Nine are to me. And 
Actually, I I haven't ordered your book yet because I haven't gotten paid yet this week. But anyway, um, I was reading the description and uh, just based on what it said on the back cover, it seemed like you like nine a lot. And even though we're talking about uh, the EP tonight, I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, my fear and I want to hear yours, too, Wayne, because I, I'm dying to I, this is really interesting to me, but to me, the one that stands out that is the most different is nine out of all of them. And I find it uh, it to be a very kind of like raw recording and really aggressive. And it has, you know, like sold my soul and all that stuff, like like the songs that I really like. It just feels more aggressive. And, and I swear that album cover has a lot to do with it as well. Right. What a great yeah, album. It cover, does. Right? But uh, yeah, Church also bring of it, brings it back to uh, "Don't Break the Oath." That album cover. It, it, it's but, raw. Yeah. It's aggressive, and they sounded they sounded truly alive again. Like they sounded the yeah. first time you heard "Evil" or "A Dangerous yeah. Meeting." Yeah. 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 And while the other records were good, they just none of the other ones hit me quite immediately the way nine does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really compare it. I I'd compare the strength of the songwriting to Melissa, but I think Melissa is just as sort of studied and, and, you know, seriously and soberly put together as all those other reunion albums. Oh, you definitely. know what I mean? Like I, I, I almost think to, to me, actually, I, I think don't break the oath and, and nine sound the most, crazy like or or drunken you know i mean just or or just hmm. like looser and more aggressive and and part right. of that is actually only because come to think of it don't break the oath production is very screechy and mid-rangey like the band is not happy with the sound of that album really um oh, and, really? and and nine kind of leans that way but the other i think every other album besides those two are are completely high fidelity. I mean, they even complain about the debut, right? They complain about Melissa actually, and I don't know what they're really? complaining. About. Yeah. Melissa sounds great to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me yeah too. Especially for that that period in time, it sounds just like everything else that was released. It sounds super expensive. It's got all yeah. the bass, all the bass and treble you want. Everything sits properly in the mix. It's yeah. it just sounds like a really expensive album. And that again is why you know I, I compare it to to Sad Wings of Destiny and and this whole idea of uh, of these guys sound like the most skilled band ever, and yet nobody's ever heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with you. Both so wait, on, yeah, on, we, um, go ahead. Yeah, on, on nine. Um, yeah, I think nine nine's really good. But my one problem with nine is uh, I feel like every song is kind of rushed. Mm -hmm. They just kind of go from one song, next song, next song, next song. Yeah. But uh, it is better than Dead Again. Dead Again is the worst thing that they ever did, Mm. I think. I don't like, I like maybe two songs in that whole album. It's just between the production on that album, Mm -hmm. um, some weird effect that King uses on his vocals. Mm -hmm. That's, it really bothers me. Mm. I I almost feel ill turning on that album. It's just, that's how bad I am. I don't like it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, into the Shadows I, is probably my favorite actual Merciful Fate album out of all of them. Yeah, that was um, my first Merciful Fate album that I've ever heard. Like when it first came out. Yeah, because I didn't get into King Diamond until like 1990, so I was kind of like you know, right. still learning everything. And um, Into the Unknown is also my other favorite. So yeah. it would be Into the, in in the Shadows and Into the Unknown is my favorite. And um, Time Time's pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Even though the production's a little. A little yeah. weird on that one. So, so I actually took all the Facebook comments 
that I had when we had this discussion and put them in the book in one little section and, and, and <laughs> framed it around this, this argument. I, I just said I'm really struggling with, with telling them apart, really. Uh, and, and it's, it's funny, I, I can't quite remember the way it came out, but I think it basically proves we're all full of crap because, because there is no consensus whatsoever, uh, uh, across those albums. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool hearing a really strong opinion against one of them, but, um, but yeah, when you get to that section, it, it takes up a good page or two because I, I basically put in all these sort of comments Okay, these guys said this album's the best. These guys said this album's the best, and and you do get some kind of insightful things about it. But right. I think the moral of the story of that book, though, is because I interviewed most of the producers and stuff, which was kind of cool. I think the moral oh, of the story is how hard they worked all the time, and how methodical and planned with charts and boards and stuff, and that's why everything is of such a high quality. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's just really, really good progressive heavy metal. Or if it's if you don't want to call it progressive metal, it's it's progressive e metal. It's it's heavy metal with a little bit of progressive, or you know, it depends where you put it. But yeah. basically, I I think I think it's almost testimony that it's hard to pick your favorites of them because they're actually all so good and put so much work into them, and just dozens and dozens and dozens of hours over weeks and months putting those records together. Yeah. My other problem too is with uh, Dead Again. Uh, it was Mike Weed's first album, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think the band really gelled that well. I, I mean, they fixed it on Nine, but with that with Dead Again, it was just like they kind of figuring out how to play together. Right. And it yeah, just, it sounds uh, transitional. I yeah, it's and very, it's so weird mm-hmm. to me that album. It, you know, as structured as they are, and as beautiful as the compositions come out to be, that's what uh, bothered me, bothers me so much about that again, as it feels uh, almost chaotic and thrown together. Yeah. Yeah. So, so rat salad has as its core King diamond and merciful fate, but, but you will have shows on other things basically. Oh yeah. We do show, we do like album versus album shows. And then we do Mm -hmm. um, usually our main show is either we do interviews or we do um, like a new album, whatever new albums are out, or right. you know stuff like that. So, yeah, we're kind of a mix match of everything. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and I I smoke cigarettes, and that really yes. pisses everybody off for some reason. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and where are both of you again? I'm in New York, and he's in uh, Minnesota. Okay, yep. right on. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Almost Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost Manitoba, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. it's The sun hasn't been out in nine days now. It's just so really? gloomy yeah. this winter. Yeah. Well, you're one of the coldest places in America, right? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. That, that, part, of, uh, that part of the states. Wisconsin, yeah. also, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Wisconsin's probably only about 30 miles away or so. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's as just bad the there. Place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've we've yeah. barely seen any snow over here. We've been lucky so far. Um, but, uh, is there like, is there an album that you dislike more than the others? I mean, I would say probably dead again. And, you know, but I mean, we we could we could do we could try do a little of what you were saying before. Do you want to talk a, a fair bit about the debut? We can. I we wish can I would have uh, got a little refresher first, <laughs> but sure. I know that I'm like the back of my my hand, but 
Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose I do too. But but again, I I do feel I I, I was even playing it again, and I do feel that um, I, the the songs to me are the most similar to each other, but they're not a lot different from each other. And I think that's one of the great things about it. I mean, I I, I suppose I can really. I, or I will talk about it just in a general sense, but I, I think the reason that album endures so much is that it's got the most catchiest five or six parts of the entire catalog and, and the stuff that they keep playing over and over. And it stands the test of time as well. And obviously, yeah, Metallica likes all that stuff too. Right. But, um, but, but even, even compared to, uh, to uh, don't break the oath, it's like, it's like the most catchiest songs are on the debut. Right, yeah. and, that, and so I think that's the cool thing about it. Yeah, I, I think it's better than "Don't Break the Oath." Yeah, you know, "Don't Break the I Oath" just, has maybe two songs that I, I don't really care for. But mm-hmm. what you just—I just realized we were talking about Melissa, and not the EP. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We did the EP like uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. But Martin said debut, and my brain went elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. That's well, the, e- the EP, you know, it's it's funny. I, I, I tried to rack my brains back to the history of the EP. And, you know, even though we had our pulse, me and my buddies all, all over the new wave of British heavy metal stuff, somehow that EP slipped by, whether it was being on Rave On or whatever, or the import shops we went to. You know, I was born in Trail, British move Columbia. Over, move over. You're going to get blocked by my logo. <laughs> the, the, the interior of BC, right? And the place we, um, you know, the place we shopped all the time was Spokane, Washington, right? And so we had these great record stores, Magic Mushroom, Strawberry Jams. And, and you know, there were, there were a few things that I remember getting, but for some reason, that EP, so that would have been 82. And, you know, we, every bloody obscure metal thing that ever happened out of the new wave of British heavy metal we knew about, but, but I, I'm pretty sure that we missed that EP somehow and, and went straight into uh, Melissa. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Cause uh, I don't know if you know who Ralph Vieira is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has a podcast. Uh, he was on our last show and yeah. uh, he was telling us how he got into merciful fate and he actually found that record. What was his uh, friend was uh, working at a record shop or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, he ended up yeah, having saw it. He the saw cover it. and told him he yeah. had to get it. Yeah. yeah and... There really is a marked difference eh, between the between the EP and Melissa. I mean, Melissa is miles more skilled than the EP. Oh, if, yeah. If I would have oh. got the EP first, I would have loved it and thought this is a very strange, unique band and it's actually really skilled. But it does feel a little bit like just a really, really good new wave of British heavy metal indie. Um, but Melissa doesn't. I mean, Melissa, like I say, it, it sounds like, wow, these guys spent a million dollars in the studio and right. um, they're just some of the greatest musicians going. And, you know, a, f- a funny thing that, um, you know, when Michael said we wanted to be the heaviest band in the world, right? Mm. The actual uh, original ads for Sad Wings of Destiny say, like the, like the UK newspaper ones say, the heaviest band in the world which is pretty wild um, right, yeah. because, you know, for an ad to actually get it right. And, and like, you know, Judas Priest probably by some measures were the heaviest band in the world. They were certainly probably the best, the best metal band in the world from 70 I, to 79. Right. 
I would certainly say if they weren't the heaviest when Sad Wings was out, they definitely got there when Stained Class came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's got it's got every song's heavy except one that's half heavy, right? Uh, yep. Beyond the realms of death, right? And and sure, you know, well, that's how we used to measure things. We had the whole math around it. Sad Wings was a six out of eight, right? It had the two ballads, <laughs> yeah. and everything else was heavy, right? You know, and yep. Sin After Sin had a couple of so-sos, we used to call them. Diamonds and Rust didn't get counted because it was in the middle. And the Last Rose of Summer was a lousy. And we had really goods and average goods and, and all that stuff. So so we basically had this thing where you go, it's a 7 out of 9. It's a 6 out of 8. It's a 5 out of 7. It's a it's a, it's a a 9 out of 9 or whatever. It Literally, and, and we remember like like the great day when uh, when the first, we called it the perfect album came out. And that would have been... Rainbow Rising first, six out of six, and then uh, Let There Be Rock, eight out of eight or nine out of nine. Um, I think it's nine out of nine. And then uh, and then the Sex Pistols album and then Motorhead albums, not the first Motorhead album because it had a couple of two bluesy songs or poppy songs. Right. Vibrator, I think, was one of them. But certainly with Overkill and Bomber, they were they were the next perfect albums. So they were the only albums that were completely heavy. Right. Yeah. Well. And lightning to the nations. Right. Yeah, well, we're into nineteen eighty by that point, right? So yeah. there's, there's lots of stuff at that point coming around. Yeah. I argue about this all the time at work with the guys at my job. Uh, what makes an album a ten? Well, I I would say uh, I would say uh, taking the old me and taking King Diamond because King Diamond and I had this hilarious talk about this at the same time. He said the same thing. Skip over the ballads. The ballads are a waste, or, or if there were any horns or anything like that, like check, check the instruments on the back and all this stuff. He he talked exactly like all of us talk, right? So it's yeah. it's understandable they they were what they were. So no ballads because they totally for my whole childhood did not count at all. Like you just like it it did not even enter the in, into the discussion that it's a ballad song, right? But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Perfect production, uh, loving totally totally loving probably seven or eight of those songs thinking they're absolute anthemic classics choruses that just you know that hit you in a huge way um yeah i just just i obviously utter utter close to perfection right yeah so you don't have to like every song just as long as you know no, i don't think so yeah you know there could there could be there could be one or two that are marginal i suppose yeah yeah Yeah, we were we were fighting over uh staying hungry being uh or no, stay hungry. Being hungry, I said, eh, maybe. Stay hungry to me is that record where it had. Uh, there's a few bands that have these records, and and that band that record felt so much to me like it had three songs heavier than anything they'd ever done, and three yeah. songs poppier and lighter than anything they'd ever done. So it was right. what we yeah. used to call a Peaks and Valleys album, especially mm-hmm. coming off of um, "You Can't Stop Rock and Roll," which was just right. a flat line right through. Right, it's yeah. just like. You know, when when D says we wanted to be a mix of Judas Priest and ACDC, that one really leaned towards the ACDC and Stay Hungry had, like I say, heavier and lighter. And it was a peaks and valleys to me. Yeah. yeah. What are we saying? It is. I was going to say something similar to what Martin said. It really is a peaks and valleys record. And Mm -hmm. it's plays so super uneven now to me yeah it's hard to listen to like we're not uh, gonna take it i hate and there's a ballad right but then there's also like three ballad on that's awesome ah yeah but 
Even, <laughs> even in 84, we hated ballots, right? <laughs> the only <laughs> reason care. anybody has ever owned Stay Hungry, I don't care what you say, it's for burning hell. Yeah, great, yes, great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but again, even the heavy ones on that, I, I think they dumbed down. They were in the into the dumbing down process. So the heavier ones, even though they're really heavy, they're, they're actually made to sound heavier because of Tom Werman's totally uncharacteristic Tom Werman production. He doesn't produce like that ever anywhere else. But that production is really harsh. And obviously the band is mad at it. But I think I, my favorite album by far is the debut. Oh, I, yeah. I think the debut, I think all the heavier songs on that are way better than the heavier songs, even on Stay Hungry. Yeah. yeah oh, so definitely. Yeah. Even the original mix sounds uh, better than you ever heard hear the original mix. I, I forget. I forget yeah. the story. There's, right? a, there's a complete different uh, mix. There's um, like one of the remastered versions sounds completely different from the original yeah. version. Yeah. I experienced that album more than anything uh, on the whatever Twisted Sisters original record label was version, right? Yeah. What, is, what was that called? Tough Records? Or something, or? Tough, yeah. Tough? T-U-F-F, yeah. So was the debut on Tough? I mean, I would have had like an English copy. What's the English copy on? Oh wait, wait! Is it or tough? Is that, or like, no, 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 no. The the first EP is called Rough Cuts, and it's on yeah. Secret Records. Secret, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So even the second one is, I think, on or like the debut full length is Secret, I think. Is yeah, it? Under the Blade originally came out on Secret, and yeah. uh, then they redid it and re-released it on Atlantic. But um, they weren't on Atlantic until they did You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. And that was when they did their first video and all that. And uh, mm-hmm. God, I can't remember what show they were on, but uh, I love where they played with Motorhead uh, when Brian Robertson was with them. That was cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember that story. I don't know how we yeah. got to uh, Twisted Sister. But uh, <laughs> when you got into Merciful Fate, were you up? Uh, how did you take with the, all the occult and satanic and stuff uh, lyrics? Well, um, it was probably a little creepy, creeped me out a little bit. Um, you know, we're already primed for it through Venom, I suppose, and Black Sabbath. You know, Black yeah. Sabbath, we could have that whole argument, whether it's a cult or not, of course. It's not really <laughs> on the face of it, uh, in certain ways it is. That that bloody Sabbath, bloody Sabbath album cover is sure pretty occult. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so Venom was there already. But but yeah, but but with Merciful Fate, it, it felt, like I say, creepier, almost like I say, going back to like the back cover and the religious writing of Sad Wings of destiny and him holding the the big mic stand up and looking like a cross and all that and the short right. hair so so that felt that felt a little ooh weird you know um this this religiousy thing and then it comes up again with with merciful so yeah it it was um uh but it's funny um you know you get a little bit of this michael and hank also pondering what was the value of that and the worth of it and it's almost like you you could you could complain about it for the satanicness of it, but you could also complain about it for the um, for just the it doesn't relate to people's life part of it, right? Uh, yeah. Right. So it's it's you know when it's not overtly like like let's just go all the way and say it's it's not about you know chicks and partying and and right. and love and ride motorcycles and stuff like that. So if it's not going to be about that, the whole album is going to be just just feel like something that's foreign to your life you know it, no matter what your you know creeped out factor is on it so 
that's kind of a funny part of it as well. So it's it's literally uh, it, it's literally all about a world that is just really kind of fanciful and bizarre and and fantastical, right? All right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what turned me on to it, too. It's like, when I first got into it, I'm like, uh, my parents and, and everybody else was trying to push me away from it because it was all satanic stuff like that. And then, right. you know, it did scare me a little bit because I was little. I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. I didn't know nothing right. about that stuff. But uh, after a while, I started getting into more bands. And then I just started, you know, seeing the pictures and seeing what King looked like and stuff like that. And then I was drawn into it a lot more. Yeah. And King is is the is the biggest sweetheart and a cuddly dude anyway. Yeah, that's right? what's like so he's, funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you just, you you read the interviews with him or you talk to him. And he's just so, so enthusiastic about music. And he and he's a very moral guy. And he likes he likes talking about moral issues. And then also in the book, you, you find out a little later, like when he explains a lot about what he believes in. Mm. It's, um, it's it's a it's not it's not you know witches and devil satanic right. so it's yeah. not even that but it's also you know even um i didn't explore it fully because he went on to what he really believes but it's not even really all that much um you know down the path of the anton levey thing although he says he he kind of bonded with anton about um you know feeling a certain way about stuff. But then when King actually explains what he believes, it's almost like a, a complete strange reincarnation type religion in itself. It's not a religion. It's just a, it's just a very bizarre belief that this whole thing about um, what does he say? So it's about how um, we go through lives and, uh, and you keep getting is you basically, you keep getting reincarnated um, because you haven't experienced everything in life yet, like killing someone or, or, or love or marriage or having kids or, or riding a sea do or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like you, you know, you keep getting reincarnated, uh, and then, and then possibly, I, I don't know, it, it's all explained in there by King and not me. So it's even better, okay, but it, right. basically, um, Basically, the ideas, and and then I think I took a couple runs at it because I let him I let him talk about it a couple times because he kept adding in other things, um, but I, I I think the idea is you you don't really pass on to the other world or whatever it's called, and that that he also keeps vague as well, right? Uh-huh. You don't pass on to this other world situation until through all your six or seven or twelve lives you've experienced everything a human being is supposed to experience and then you pass on to this other world or whatever right but uh <laughs> the other the other funny thing about Long kingdom journey. is there's there's interesting stuff in here about paranormal things that you know we've all heard of talk about and tell these stories about these par- right, yeah but but even even you'll hear some of the producers talk about the little gremlin that would happen or the weird things that would come on the recordings and stuff right yeah. so uh, you know, they tell these stories and they're perfectly normal guys and you listen to them and you, and you sort of just find yourself believing them. Right. And right. even when King explains all that stuff, the way he explains it, because he's such a good explainer. Right. right. Yeah. You basically end up believing them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like. Um, I don't think I OK, I might be getting this confused. I don't think this is a King story. No, I, I don't think this is a King story, but I remember hearing a paranormal story. You can, you guys are, are experts in this. You can tell me if this is a King story. And if it is, it's actually in the book because I keep, I keep forgetting whether this is a King story or not, but about, um, no, I think part, this is why I'm getting this wrong because part of it is King and part of it, the, the other detail is not King. But I remember somebody perfectly sober explaining to me a story about a cup 
lifting off of a desk. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. No, but wait, listen, it, it gets okay. different. There's a twist. And the cup turns over like this, and it pours a big pile of sand onto the desk. Well, I didn't hear. So that is not part of the King story. But you hear a story like that, and you go, wow, that is a crazy, crazy story. And it's almost like the crazier story, like that whole thing where, where people say, oh, you, you can't make this stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I hear that story and go, wow, that is so, so, so wild that it does sound like something that nobody would make up, right? All right. So I don't know. So the long and short of it is, I, I'm not a big paranormal believer, but when King tells me this stuff, I basically actually believe him. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, he makes you believe. But yeah. uh, so far, we're we're just um, debunking all his stuff because every guest that we've had on so far has said they have never seen anything. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, does that include any of the guys that were That's, that were there? How about at his parties I, at his apartment? Uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Denner said no. Snowy Shaw said no. Uh, who was the other? Uh, David Harbor said uh, no. Dave Harbor said no. Yeah. And who else do we have? I think that sits off. So oh no, uh, Pete Black. Yeah, I, I've had some say no's as well, but I'm wondering, I, it would be interesting to get, to do some research and get like the girl that was in the washroom at the party or the <laughs> other guys when they were drinking and throwing throwing beer bottles against the wall and, yeah. and didn't they come back to the party after or something and this whole thing about, um, or maybe he was alone when he had that thing where he says, oh, you could stand to the left and stand to the right. And there was this evil smell and then there wasn't right there. Yeah. So there's that one. But there's also like the people have heard in his apartment that the yeah, street I've heard that one. Right. And then there was there's an interview with uh, Timmy Hansen on YouTube that I was watching uh, fairly recently. And he explained a, a thing that he saw, like a shadow thing that he saw in, in King's apartment one time. But he's the only one I ever heard talk about that. Yeah. We didn't get to have him on the show, obviously, because he passed away. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I that's yeah. The the whole paranormal thing. I I I suppose I don't really believe it. I mean, at, at the yeah. bottom, at the face of it, I I guess I don't really believe it. So, and if we ever have Kim Rose on, if you're watching this damn show, Kim Rose, you better. Yeah. Get <laughs> yeah. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you one curse I do believe in, and it's of the pharaohs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah, <laughs> that uh, that may be the first Merciful Fate song I ever heard because it was right. on some compilation. Okay, and uh, Wait, here's my Melissa. Yeah, wasn't Hell Comes to Your House? I yeah. don't think, but it it was something similar to that. But just blew me away. So heavy and so catchy, but so perfectly played at the same time yeah 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 Yeah, and the funny thing i think i remember about evil and i wrote about in the book is how are everybody's favorite part of evil like when it kicks in and has that first verse Mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think i don't think we ever get another verse ever again in the song i i think it just goes off in another direction you never get that that cool thing that was the payoff right at the beginning of the um of the song really yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I never really thought see, about that. Good. Before. See, there. Here we go. So, so you're you're, you're noticing it in your mind, right? Yeah. I, I know I wouldn't have got it wrong in the book. I think you know I'm not sure I get a, getting it right right now because I would have. I, I basically put headphones on and listened to all this stuff really carefully because I, like I say, I adopted a little bit of the whole. Um, you know, the thing I went through with the Clash and the Led Zeppelin books to it, and you know, time signatures and looking for funny instruments and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Did you find anything weird while listening to it over again? Boy, um, 
Not nothing that comes to mind. I mean, I I do I do recall a lot of the different um, time signatures. You know, the the thing that I found really interesting and very satisfying about doing the book is how awesome King's little stories are across all those songs that nobody knows off of all those reunion mm. albums. Right? They right, put yeah. so much effort and work into them, and his stories are really good. I mean, right. King sometimes gets some abuse for for it being cheesy horror or something, right? But yeah. I don't. I, no man, that there are there are some really <laughs> crazy, crazy images in, in, in a lot of those stories. And just and just weird little dynamics between like, you know, like like the Madonna figure and it's actually the devil behind the Madonna figure and all this and it's bleeding blood and all so so there's there's some there's some really tight little horror stories. I, I think actually that are better because they are they are tight and they're not so fully explained as you get across, you know, the conceptual King Diamond end of it. They're basically there. It's all way more explained. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's the difference between them. That's, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'll always like merciful fate the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I, I mean, even if it's a long song, if it's something as awesome as Satan's fall, I'd rather it be tied up in 11 minutes. Yeah. And one song <laughs> instead of a full record, but yeah, yeah, and you know, even there, like, like I, 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 when I was doing the book, like I talked to a lot of super fans of of both bands, and 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 including these producers who have worked on both projects, and it was hard to even get out of them the difference between the King Diamond band and the Merciful band. But in my mind, it's always been there's more double bass on King Diamond, there's more okay. keyboards, there's more vocal arrangements and and the stories are more explained and in depth and it's more conceptual i mean what do you guys think or what are the main differences to you guys yeah like you said merciful fate's more just song after song after song and king diamonds just it's a story every album's a story yeah that's basically yeah, and, the difference and, and and merciful fate at least for me has always had had more of a a more aggressive edge to it almost mm-hmm. if you will um, uh, and, and not to say that, uh, the way the King Diamond band plays is sluggish, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Merciful Fate's more immediate, like, a uh, Fear, or a Sex Pistols record. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, people, or the, at least the guys in the band and, and fans kind of say that Merciful Fate has, has got more of a seventies vibe. Right. Um, I oh, think, the, totally I think does. the guitar playing is a little more. Um, important and central and distinct. I think. I think every to me, always King Diamond has always felt more locked to a grid as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems jackhammery yeah. uh, yeah. in a very general sense uh, compared to Merciful. Like Merciful just seems a little bit uh, more uh, free and, and like I guess kind of loose. I guess in a way. Yeah, with uh, with with the time signatures and uh, and even the the changes in the Marshall Fate songs, it is looser. uh, You know, it's almost a natural progression. It feels like where with King Diamond, when it does change, it's very structured to make a very specific point about that part of the story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. King Diamond is uh, a little bit more. I guess you could say maybe power metal ish in a way. Yeah, and soundtracky, right? Soundtracky right. passages, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. more sound effects and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they wouldn't do that stuff in Merciful Fate. All those background things and uh, yeah. have extra characters around, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I didn't think 
at all that I would even consider doing an actual King Diamond book. But the, but the Merciful Fate book has has been selling so fast that I'm thinking, you know, I, I may uh, I may be able to to do one. I thought just one would be enough. But um, no, you're going to have to do a King Diamond book. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. To. Maybe. There's no way you can't. Because because the neat thing is, is, you know, I but see, I included a fair bit of the King Diamond story as we went along, especially the important pressure points like like Fatal Portrait. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like 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 just just and then and then some of the other ones that recorded kind of at the same time. So if I had kind of a good passage from King where he talked a little bit at length about one of those. So it's 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 a little bit done. It's maybe 20 percent done in this book already. But mm-hmm. because I didn't think I would do one. But uh, but I, I almost feel like rising to the challenge because one of the cool things about doing these books is immersing yourself into a catalog again, like having right. that. Uh, you know, having that Merciful Fate Festival for, for yeah, a couple yeah, of months, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's why I wanted to start this show because I, I you know, I, King Diamond's one of my favorite. Halloween's my favorite band, but King Diamond's like my second favorite and Merciful yeah. Fate together. And mm. uh, just doing the show, I just, you know, I wanted to listen to all the albums again and just, uh, you know, remember all the shit that they did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially because he hasn't done anything in how many years? Yeah, well, um, what are your guys' thoughts on the uh, the Michael Denner, Michael Weed, or Mike Weed uh, reunion uh, continuation story? <laughs> I hate it, but I, I get it, and um, we know a little bit behind the scenes kind of stuff what happened with all that stuff. But um, it is what it is. I mean, I get it because Mike Weed was in the band on the last album. Yeah, so I understand uh, Michael Denner not coming back, yeah. but uh, the reason why he didn't come back is kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. I think, and and then, uh, do you know the reason why he's not back? Well, the uh, the one reason that's talked about uh, a fair bit is uh, is the thing about the album cover being too similar to uh, like basically getting the, getting mm-hmm. Thomas again to do the album cover, and it looked too much like "Don't Break the Oath" and King. Yeah, with uh, and what Trump. Michael says, what what was kind of interesting is that it's not exactly just because of the album cover it's because no. mike michael said you know in michael's way he said you know and and i remember talking to king about it and i said ah cool it and and it's almost like king got offended that michael was was like brushing it off or something and and treating right. it as kind of a small but you know it's funny i've i've got a quote in there from michael from a few years earlier where he says if there was a reunion i wouldn't even want to be involved uh let mike weed do it so that's in the book. <laughs> that's literally in the book. Like it's not really? it's not right at it's not right at the juncture when it happens, but it was from a couple years earlier. So it's almost like yep. you know, maybe King even knew that quote and, and and is thinking in the back of his mind, Michael doesn't even really want to do it or whatever, right? Yeah, but yeah, but I understand awesome. King's thing with, you know, this is the continuation of the band. Like Mike Weed was there on on all the, the latest stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so- so I get that part. How do you feel about that, Greg? I know you don't feel good about it either, but I get it. I'm not thrilled about it, but I understand it. Um, <clears throat> I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try not to go into it with a bad attitude because you know I do, I do love Merciful Fate. I did like those records, so I want to see how it is anyway. But I really wish Michael Denner was part of it. Yeah. And it's also kind of weird that Charlie D'Angelo ain't there, but he's busy with his other band, so that's understandable yeah. as well. Yeah. Joey Vera is going to do it? Yeah. 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 So this is all, does it start in June? I can't remember. And and how how many dates? I, I, I just forget. So. I don't know. It's I, not I, a lot of dates, is it? Really? I don't think so. 
It yeah. might be like 10 dates or something like that. I, yeah. I don't really know. It's not happening here, so I don't really care. Yeah. Oh, it <laughs> probably gonna... will. I'm already, I'm already upset enough. I have to go all the way down to fucking Missouri to see the circle jerks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not coming anywhere in the Midwest. Yeah. 40th yeah. anniversary of group sex. They got the yeah. whole original <laughs> band. Wow. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. So, drive. so do you do you think King is ever going to release another album either with Merciful Fate or King Diamond? Uh that's right. That new one didn't happen yet, did it? Um, he released what, one single, and that's yeah. It. What went on there? Yeah, it's a, a month's passed before I even thought about it anymore. Is the, is there yeah. a word that it's uh, it's not happening for some reason? I, I haven't heard the gossip. No, he keeps saying that you know song. Uh, songs aren't done yet, but oh, okay. Things that we hear, we hear that nothing's going on. <laughs> yep, yeah, you mean they're not working on it? Yeah, we, we're exactly. just we're hearing that uh, it's just not happening. That's really uh, interesting and odd. I don't know why he wouldn't. It make is very record. odd because why? Why release one single and yeah. don't continue with an album? I mean, he keeps saying it's going to be like a double album, but mm-hmm. why release a single if an album's not even done yet? You know, when when yeah. would the album come out? Like another year from now? Yeah. You know, That's strange. Kind of strange. I, I totally forgot all about it. I would have thought, yeah, it, it must be coming real soon. But um, yeah. I guess not. I mean, yeah. I, it doesn't make sense because uh, because he's got a he's got a stable, nice label deal and a, and good recording facilities there in Texas. And he's got a good relationship with Brian Slagle. And, you know, Brian would probably love to see an album and uh, they could they could put it out in all these fancy formats and. And you know he's he's obviously a touring act. He's looking great, by the way. He's he's yeah. really got a really he cool. Sounds look. good too. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's uh, I I um I, I wonder if there's something nefarious about that. But I I don't uh, I don't see why um he he loves music so much that you would think he would love to have a new album. Right. Album. He would think so. I mean, maybe because the way uh, album sales are right now, maybe he doesn't feel a reason to do it. I don't know. That's all speculation. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe he does have the album half done. Who knows? Yeah. Hmm. I was going to say, I just don't think it's quite at the level of ready he's saying it is. And he's just trying in a uh, polite way not to tease us, but just mm-hmm. keep interest up but by himself some time. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely got the concept and everything and at least the lyrics and whatnot all thought out. I just don't think the music is completely written for the record yet. You know, psychologically speaking, and just thinking about, you know, having these producers talk, talk about all those records, you know, I wonder if as time goes on, and you get older, and the the amount of work that that they have to put into these records, I mean, they're, they were all grueling, grueling records to make the reunion records, right? And I wonder if, as you get older, you build up in your mind how hard it is, and especially if he said it was going to be a double album. uh, And, and it's almost like, you could probably overwhelm yourself and say, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. I can't do this anymore. Right. And you, and you might just say, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I can finish this thing and get all these guys together and blah, blah, blah. And nobody's going to buy it because there's no CDs anymore and music's free. And so, yeah, you, you wonder, right? Because, you know, you, you could, you could run out of, uh, you could run out of energy in your career and, 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 just say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and I'll do this touring and uh, forget making any more records, right? 
Which is a shame because he's got a really good band right now. I got Matt Thompson. He's an awesome drummer. And uh, they got the new bass player. Actually, we're supposed to have him on the show as well sometime mm-hmm. uh, in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mike Weed sounds Mike Weed sounds really great with uh, Andy LaRock. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, they're really good together. Yeah, I think that you know, they're a really good team. So mm-hmm. it'd be a shame to not put something out, but I guess yeah. we'll just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What do you think of the new song? Uh I I literally can't remember now. I mean, I, I can't picture <laughs> I can't picture it in my head. Um, yeah. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. It was, yeah. but it wasn't Merciful Fate to me. It was it was King. It, it clearly right. sounded yeah, like yeah, a yeah. King song. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I I liked it as much as I have this this floor or ceiling, whatever you want to call it, on on King material. I mean, I always that the things I don't like about King. Are, uh, were in that song. But like I say, I, I can't picture it in my mind. Um, but like you, Greg, I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's never going to feel as important as Merciful Fate, I don't right. think, to me. Yeah. And no, he, and, you know, yeah, the funny and, thing, just, just to mention before I forget, I mean, the, the, the other interesting thing that he said in the book, like when he was talking a little bit about his career, um, and I think I compared it in the book, yeah, I, I'm sure I did, to the to the Genesis Peter Gabriel situation, right? Oh. Where where basically, um, you know, everybody, all the music fans in the world, and 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 there would be the most excitement around Genesis if Peter Gabriel got into the band. But they said the whole thing is actually less economically viable than just the Phil Collins fronted version. So that's why they went with the Phil Collins fronted version. And King basically says. I, I can't make as much money with Merciful Fate as I can with yeah. King Diamond. B- basically, King Diamond, you know, partially I'm sure that's because of the the structures of the deals, and he, and he's the solo guy, and him, you know, he's kind of saying personally I can right. make a lot more money with King Diamond, but also he's he's hammered that brand uh, harder than he has really the Merciful Fate brand and and when you and when you think of younger generations of of, of metal fans you know as, as the waves continue there are a lot of people who think painkiller is the greatest judas priest album and so there are a lot of people who who love the eye and conspiracy and and uh, of course abigail as mm. as records you know there are a lot of fans that say ah, merciful fate it's probably even a little bit like black sabbath fans who love the Ronnie era and say, ah, oh, the seventies band is just a bunch of hippies, right? It's probably right. not that extreme, but there are people who, who love Abigail who are 35 years old, who, who look at merciful fate and say, ah, it's just some weird old hippie shit, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So probably. Yeah. All right. Well, where can people go and get your book in case they never heard of you before and they don't know where your website is? Uh, martinpopoff.com. I mean, my, my whole job essentially, uh, or most of my job is uh, is the mail order, signing and sending out uh, my own books. There's PayPal buttons there for U.S., international, Canada. Everything that is in print by me, I have right here in my office. Um, so that's about 50 titles. And uh, yeah, I sign them, send them out from the office. I'm doing mail order kind of every day. So yeah, martinpopup.com. Right, really cool. Do you have anything else you want to promote? You do. You said you do a podcast too? Uh, yeah, I have a new podcast called History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. I'm up to about 30 episodes. It's on uh, Pantheon. So it's on like 40, 40 places you can get it, essentially, you know, 40 plus, whatever, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Um, and so that's, I basically come up with a point that I want to make, and I have five songs to make that point. So we've had, uh, uh, the, the last one was, was a really cool, odd one. I won't go into the whole story. It's called The Very, Very Strange Story of Ram Jam. And it's all about that Ram Jam album. 
album into the second album and how it's just a completely bizarre story. But yeah, about 30 episodes we've got of that. Other than that, mm-hmm. um, the Rainbow Book is now sold out, so don't order the Rainbow Book from me. But I've got the two the two Iron Maiden books I still have, the two Priest books I still have, and I'm uh, about two-thirds of the way through a Saxon book. Oh, wow. Not the same. We didn't. Uh, one of the guys that used to be on our show. He's uh, he's a huge Saxon fan. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll have to tell him about the Saxon book. Yeah, definitely. And everybody, I mean, they should give it out with boxes of Tide in America. Everybody needs a copy of Martin's Blue Oyster Cult book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I'm doing two other Blue Oyster Cult books right now. Two other ah, weird. I, I just I can't <laughs> wait. But yeah, that 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 original one uh, is actually. It's it was a fun. It's been through three editions now, and uh, it's just the stories in there are so good because those guys are so interesting when it comes to the lyrics and stuff, right? I mean, just stories are just really cool. Yeah. Excited for the new album? Oh yeah, yeah, dying to hear that because uh, again, that, that's a, that's another band who uh, who just put, puts a lot of quality into what they do. And those last two albums they did, you know, the stray ones, the '98 and the 2000, whatever it was 2002. Mm-hmm. The Curse of the Hidden Mirror. They're they're both brave and cool and different for various reasons. So I, I think that's a band that's probably again a little bit like we were saying conjecture about King, but it's definitely about Blue Oyster Cult. They find it really, really, really hard to write music because they have pretty high standards and right. they and they're also cranky about the music industry and all that stuff. So they they basically have have been the types who uh, who haven't been wanting to make uh, albums. So it, it'll be yeah. nice, you know. Them. Yeah, I hope so. Is there any new band that you're like excited about nowadays? Not really. You know, I I uh, I basically still there's so much old music that I'm studying all the time, and I'm studying stuff for the books. But also, you know, I just almost I'm I'm almost working my way in te- ten year increments, and you know, I listen to a lot of like Clutch and King's X, and uh, boy, what else? Black Country Communion and Pantera. I love from the '90s, so it's almost like. When when people say new band to me, it's still it's still bands <laughs> that are they're ten to twenty years old because yeah. I, I I have so and the other thing is um, I listen to a lot of stuff from the era I grew up in that I paid no attention to at the time. They should have a word for it, like a like some sort of special kind of nostalgia, like right. nostalgia for something you missed right. in the yeah. late seventies or or the early eighties or whatever, like a mm-hmm. whole genre of music you paid no attention to, and you go in and restudy all that stuff. So I've been right. doing yeah. a lot of that. What what band? Uh, name one. Boy, for, so I've been listening to a lot of post punk, like a lot of uh, the Jam and Magazine, and getting into Madness, playing tons no, of Madness. I got um, into like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's, it's my two favorite Madness albums are the last two albums they they made. Oh, uh, really? Far, yeah. So, and you know, I've I've been uh, mm-hmm. I've been having this this late period that's been going on for years with the who so i love the new who album and i'm into that stuff i loved endless wire i'm probably the only one who loved endless wire i love face dances and you know it's hard so so i'm a really weird who fan as well but yeah and and um you know uh some hardcore stuff like um like uh, cockney rejects and even crass and bands like that um Yeah, so there's there's a lot of cool little nooks and crannies of of uh, of even old timey music that I that I totally missed that I'm old timey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I have a bunch of industry buddies who are who are like massive, massive, uh, you know, metal industry people who who went and explored all that yacht rock stuff again. Remember all those cool yacht rock YouTube videos? Like that got a lot of oh, people. Yeah. 
all that easy listening stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's even all all those albums you hated, hated, hated as a kid. Those bands that made five albums like Ambrosia and Exile, and you know, just weird stuff, right? Pilot, right. you know that. Well, the, uh, I Post love Steely Dan, band, but yeah, uh, Starland vocal you band. Keep the Ambrosia. <laughs> but uh but it's funny so there's so there's all sorts of music and you know and they were all very expensive records because everything was on major labels and they were with big producers so it's all analog and you know if if there was a choir or or classical instruments it was a real choir and real classical instruments so (laughs) it's funny when i was gonna when i was emailing you back earlier I, i typed in your name in the search thing and an old email popped up from like 2009, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Um, it was about, I was writing you, well, my guitarist at the time, I was in a band called uh, Phoenix Rain. I guess you may have had contact oh, with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy Crystal Holtz, I don't know if you remember him at all. Yeah. Well, he sent me an email, and it was uh, questions about uh, co- people's collections. Okay. Like record, record collections. All right, yeah. Yes, and I answered all the questions and sent it back to you. Well, I I, uh, I hope that got in the book because I, I did know. a book later, a, a book called Metal <laughs> Collector, which didn't sell very well, by the way. That's the other thing I've I've really learned, and it's happened over and over again. Books on one band do great. Books that yeah. are general and and a conceptual kind of book, they usually are a real hard sell, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah, that one I I had a book of of collecting stories and autograph stories. I'm a huge autograph uh, mm-hmm. hound, and I've I've um. Yeah, I am too. My friend got me into doing that. And I, oh yeah, I, yeah, oh yeah. I've got three thousand items in my office here that uh, that, really? that have been autographs, and and I also love the advertisements, obviously, which are throughout all the books, right? And I actually started recently drawing the ads and stuff. And uh, hang on, I can. I don't know how this is. This probably won't even show, but uh, so yeah, things like this. Let's see how this looks. Yeah, come over a little bit more. Yep. So this is all uh, pencil crayon on black. Wow! And so, um, so I've been doing a lot of this, and I might actually even do prints of them. Here's a here's a clash so, one. So you drew all that? Yeah. Wow! And so here, I'll show you some more. So I I, I love how they're turning out on black. So yeah, I, they look cool. I, I come up with new color schemes for some of them. That's the Dan Man. Dad. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh yeah, this was a pretty recent one. Whole new color scheme to the Alice Cooper greatest hits. Wow. So that's all pencil huh. crayon on black, on black paper. Wow. And then what I did, actually, this is just another normal one. So this is just uh, oh, a Judas Priest Sad Wings ad that, that never was in color, but I made a color version of it. Wow. But then I, uh, yeah, here's the one. So I actually started finding, um, so I, I made up a whole new ad for this Black Sabbath Master of Reality. So this text here. There's an actual ad that exists that only has text and no image at all. And then I added in these um, these British uh, warplanes, which oh. weren't in anything. So I so I made I made a uh, a master reality ad that doesn't exist. And then uh, and then this one uh, this one is a um, a technical ecstasy ad that was never in color. So and then I think we got one more here. That's cool. Uh, oh yeah, so this one I, I don't like very much. But this, there was a, um, I don't like the colors. This ad actually existed. It's it's paranoid. That all says paranoid slowly. Oh, yeah, so there's actually there's an actual paranoid ad. Um, but I made color and picked some colors, and I didn't like the colors I picked. And I think I got one more. Oh yeah, so this is a a completely made up Blue Oyster Cult mirrors ad that does not exist, and that's using <laughs> so the mirror mirrors ad. 
And then this is actually a buddy of mine, Rich Galbraith, took a photo of Eric, and I stuck his photo. I drew, redrew his photo in there, and I picked different colors. So it's all browns and yellows here, and I made a, uh, you know, so that's a, a complete. That's really cool. There's, I, did some so real good work there. I'm going to do a bunch of those, uh, and maybe maybe make prints of them or something like that. They would look good on t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, so, some yes, of these. I yeah, would I, buy I, that mirrors one as a T-shirt. Oh yeah, I would, say, I would buy a print of that. <laughs> well, that's cool because I I might make prints. I might make small ones, card size, large ones. Um, the mailing of them is a little bit of a pain. I might actually even go into record shows with them, and I might start drawing them square so I can make them a uh, square that they fit in the milk crates. Uh, you know, with yeah. the, the oh yeah, like like uh, like the just flip through them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like the flats they have, and then and then make prints and sell prints of that. And then the whole Blue Oyster Cult project is is just more just straight uh, white. Uh, hang on, if you got a minute, I'll show you one or two yeah. of those. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, we have a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're home now. You ain't going anywhere. Not right now, no. <laughs> well, where would you be going besides bed? I think I've got some here. Uh, so this is a start with, um, this I is use... still, now this can be hard to tell, but this is just pencil on white paper, if you look really yeah. closely there. So this yeah. is a vibrators ad. But here's another custom Blue Oyster Cult one I did. So this is a mirrors, this is another mirrors ad with a 1920s flapper girl with her little mirror thing. Uh-huh. So now she... you do it all freehand, or how do you do it? Uh, there's a, there's a, some projection and some collaging, so there's there's a few tricks used as well, and that speeds it up. Um, and then so we've got uh, well I won't show you all the ads, but we've got we've got a, a budgie in for the kill ad. Awesome. We've got a we've got a sweet give us a wink ad. So you see, <laughs> see the winking girl there? Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's, and then, uh, but let me just show, uh, here's another Booster Cult. This is just a straight on your feet or on your knees ad. Wow. You know ah, the... I actually have that original ad framed. Cool. Excellent. Oh, actually, here's one more <laughs> Booster Cult. This is a tire. Awesome. Yes. Tyranny and Mutation. I think that's my favorite VOC uh, cover. But let me just stop showing you ads and I'll just show oh, you. Bill, Bill oh, Garlic's okay. covers were the best by far. I yeah, mean, I yeah. love their yeah. So let me find something that's actually going into this uh, this book. Uh, okay, so here's one. So this is um, this one's going to be hard to sort of tell what's going on, but so this is a kind of a Rosicrucian thing in the background, and then a, a guy at a wheel with a um, there's a little girl standing there. But this one you'll recognize. So this is uh, the original. Uh, that's a drawing of the original. Oh, uh, yep. Uh, oh. You know the photo that that was from, and then these these rich people here, and then this is drawn really black because Imaginos, the Magna of Illusion, John D, the mirror. So the black mirror thing is like an occult image that uh, is used a lot. So this guy's holding a black mirror, and so there's, and then we got the bluish cult guy over the side. That's really uh, cool. Let's see. Oh, here's another completely made up Black Sabbath one um, where text existed, but I added in the Civil War cannons. So you see the Civil War ship at the top, 
and it says Black Sabbath are taking a break, but you can see them or uh, at their show. Uh, but now you can hear them on Vertigo. So this was actual text, Black Sabbath text that had no image. So I added the image at the top. Uh, so that's it. So I couldn't find it. Yeah. So I, so there's there's about twenty five of the actual ones for this Imaginos book that are done. Wow. How long does that take you to make? Yeah, they don't take that long. I'd uh-huh. say three to four hours a piece. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. a lot of detail and stuff in there. Yeah, wow. can, can whack them off pretty fast. But, you know, it's wow. much easier when you're just doing, like, you pick up one pencil. So when you're just doing pencil mm-hmm. on white. But, yeah. you know, that's a good thing to do for black and white books because they're much cheaper to do than color books. And so it's, uh, when, when you've got a book that's just going to be black ink anyways, you may as well just do pencil on white. Right, yeah. 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 Some nice stuff. Wow, I never knew you drew, so that's cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I do have a small suggestion if you're still yeah. doing pictures for Imaginos. I've yeah. always wanted to see the Baron's Castle at Wissaria. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That's right. I uh, actually thought to do that one because that does exist. That's a great idea for the one or two I have to get finished. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, but I've gone way deep into some things like... Um, like so I this will blow your mind, but uh you gotta really know your imaginos to, to know this one. But there's there's the Gil Blanco County where there is actually um there is actually, you know, the guy rides out on the horse. So I I found an old I'm gonna do a cowboy sitting on a horse, but for his head, I'm gonna put in this um this British military guy who hosted Aleister Crowley at his house and they summoned a demon and asked him if there was going to be a big world conflict coming up. And then, so there's, so I found one of the few pictures of this guy. I'm going to stick his head on this Gil Blanco County guy sitting on the horse. That's awesome. And then this Gil, this guy actually later gets court martialed for screwing up something in world war one. So it's funny that this guy, they summoned a demon and asked about World War One, but so yeah, this the timeline is crazy. The timeline is crazy that about the occult history of uh, origins of World War One. So yeah, very cool. Well, I'm gonna keep all this in because we got. I, I'm on a uh, Blue Boyer's Occult uh, Fan Club page, and uh, they love everything Blue Boyer's. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This will yeah, this will yeah, be, yeah. be a fun project. So yeah. the best yeah. band of all time, man. Yeah. All right, you say so. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah thank you very much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. If you ever want to join us for like a whole album, I mean, it takes forever, but still. <laughs> well, you go through, yeah, and so yeah. it would, yeah. Well, we'll find we'll find some stuff. Yeah, yeah. we'll find some stuff. Cool. But uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming. I on. actually, because I think I could get you to listen to a Wayne. Sorry, Martin, not to take yeah. up too much of your time, but uh, you just inspired me with it. I would love to do a track by track of mirrors. Um, oh, I would do that in a minute. That, yeah. that is one of my favorite BOC records, yeah. mostly because, quite honestly, it reminds me of the cars. <laughs> of the cars, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but, an album um, I could definitely do track by track off the top of my head. I know every song like, awesome. do well, so, yeah. Is uh, <laughs> Shooting Shocks off that one? No, no, that's no, the revolution so, by yeah, night. Yeah, okay. um, I don't know if you've seen, we've done an episode on mirrors. I have this other YouTube show called The Contrarians. If you go on YouTube and type in The Contrarians, you'll see a, a video YouTube show that we've done about 12 episodes of. And and it's it's three guys and it's two guys arguing where one guy's favorite album by a band is a contrary choice. So 
we did a bluish cult episode and I was arguing that mirrors is my favorite bluish cult album. So you could see that on YouTube. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I ought to do a Sabbath one sometime because born again is my favorite. Oh yeah. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah no thanks problem. for coming on, man. We shall keep in touch and yeah, let's, let's do this again sometime. All right, cool. Yeah, well, don't go nowhere. Fun. Let me just end the show and then uh, we will uh, talk to you in a second. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for watching. Check us out next week. And we don't know who's going to be on because I don't know what's going on next. But uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Yeah. (laughs) However, however, I can give people and yeah, see, I keep dragging out the time. I'm batting a thousand here. But uh, I finally have scored myself an original copy of Diamond Heads Lightning to the Nation. So once that arrives in the mail, we will definitely be talking about that for a full episode. Well, that's on a whole <laughs> different show. That's a oh, different show. yeah. I don't know, King man. Diamond it's show. Wednesday. I can't remember. <laughs> I'll be on Whatever. for the Diamond Head show. I'll do that with you. All right, sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. So see you guys next week. Adios. Goodbye. What? <laughs>